you can turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 40. Genesis chapter 40. society that could be in many ways characterized with words like immediate and instant. Immediate and instant. Perhaps more than ever before in human history we live in a culture, a society where the kind of the desire for immediate, something needs to happen fast and instantly is present in our life and affects us in our daily life and our thinking and our priorities. And obviously the main thing that kind of has this effect in our age is the immediacy of even the internet, like instantly. You could send a message to the other side of the world in like instant, like that. And most of us have what are smartphones and computers and such and you could just all the time you can bombarded with things and things can happen in an instant. You can get information instantly. You can get things ordered in pretty much an instant. You know, I remember we, we lived in Los Angeles. It's not quite so here yet, but there when you ordered something of Amazon, like Amazon.com, you know, it might be there like the same evening pretty much. And I think they got even like drones delivering packages now. But we're very used to these things happen immediately, instantly, instantly whether it's in uh, things we order or things we follow or getting hold of people or getting things done or fast food, microwave meals, <laughs> everything to a different degree than ever before is instant, 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 immediate, immediate, immediate. And there's many blessings also with those things. And my point is not that they are all uh, somehow evil or as, as such. Some of them are good and I'm thankful for it. But... I think it is important to realize that the day and age we live in is we are bombarded with this kind of thinking and these priorities and it shapes the way we live our life and not just in whatever we eat or order but kind of how we have this fast-paced life mindset even about other aspects of our life. And I think especially then because of this pressure from the outside and, and the influence and all these things, it is especially important to be mindful of that, that there's a, then a, if people throughout history have had a difficulty sometimes in being patient, <laughs> you know, in life, waiting for something or things like that, then we most likely have that problem even much, much greater. And as we now continue looking at the life of Joseph, I think this is one of the things that should hit us. That God finds it wise and good and right that He works on a longer time scale than we do. And He does it not because He's somehow slow. We're talking about God Himself. But He does it because it's good and right and wise according to His plan. 
And when we read the Bible also, you know, we, like even the story of Joseph, you know, you can read the, the chapters toward the end of the book of Genesis in one sitting, you know, like, I, I, don't, I haven't timed it exactly, but, you know, at least in a few hours, you know, you could re- read it through it. Oh, that was the life of Joseph. But it didn't take a few hours, really. Obviously, it was a lifetime. And obviously, we kind of know that. But in actual practice, we then sometimes don't appreciate as much as we should that time went on and Joseph actually lived through this. And we kind of think, oh, there's Joseph, he gets a dream, oh, his brothers treat him badly, but anyway, then he rises to prominence and there he is, the prince of Egypt. And then we forget that Joseph was 17 when God gave him these visions, these dreams. And then he spent 13 years mainly in suffering in different ways unjustly because of his just actions. 13 years. Some of us have problem waiting three hours for something, or three days, three weeks, three months, three years. We think like, God must have forgotten I exist. I've been praying for this thing for three years. Like, come on, it needs to be like Amazon or whatever, instant, instant. But God has a purpose for it. And God had a purpose for showing these things to Joseph when he was 17. We thought about that. Why did, you know, why did Joseph need to know these things 13 years before they would come to fulfillment in his life? Joseph was 17 when he got the visions before, and then he told them, and then his brothers started hating him even more and sold him into slavery. Then we're told in chapter 41, verse 36, that Joseph was 30 years old when he was promoted to this uh, office uh, as the you know, leader in Egypt and, and, and overseeing this grain conservation campaign uh, under Pharaoh and, and Egypt and all that. He was 30 years. So 13 years, and not just any 13 years, 13 years, as I said, most of it then being uh, suffering unjustly at the hands of different people. But God had a purpose for this, and God was preparing Joseph for what he was to do. And he wanted Joseph to know these things and to then live 13 years in difficulty and loneliness and such to test his character, to mold him and shape him more and more to the kind of man that he will then be where he literally is the one who is in charge of more than almost anyone else uh, with with this project in in Egypt to to save uh, Israel uh, out of famine and also save Egypt out of famine and to bring glory to God in this process. God works slower than we often like Him to work, but it is good and wise and right. And I don't know who has said this. Maybe many people have said this in different ways. I don't, maybe this quote is not original to anyone. But I've heard it said 
And I think it's very good and it stuck with me relating to this also as we now look at Joseph and Joseph's life and how God works. Is that we as people, have, we, we overemphasize and overthink what can be achieved in a short period of time. And we underemphasize and undervalue what can be achieved in a long period of time with small uh, small actions. So we tend to think, just let's have this one big project, whatever. And there's certain things, obviously, you do that way. But in general, it's the little daily things for a long time that, caught, uh, that result in greatness before God, like Joseph's little acts of faithfulness more and more, and God will use that greatly. Not so much then in the immediate here, this will happen, this is not right away. God works on a bigger time scale than we often think and can appreciate. Well, today we are in Genesis chapter 40 and we continue looking at Joseph. Let me read to you Genesis chapter 40 and then we will go through this and to see what uh, we should learn from this and how to live in light of this ourselves. <clears throat> Let me actually read a, verse, a few verses. I'm tempted to read the whole chapter 39 also, but I won't do that. But uh, let me read from verse 19 in chapter 39 to remind ourselves why Joseph is in the situation he is in. He has had, he's been tempted by Potiphar's wife to sexual immorality, but he does not do it. We looked at that last week. And then as a result of this, he's put in prison. So verse 19 in 39. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge. Because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, 
who were with him in the custody, in his in custody in his master's house. Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a wine, vine before me, and the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, it its blossoms shot forth and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly, when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. And in three days Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all the servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet... The chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Okay, what do we have to learn from here? Why has God found it important that we should know these details of Joseph's life? And not just Joseph's life, but even here, this two officers, uh, these two servants of Pharaoh, and how it relates to Joseph's life. Well, I think there's many things for us to learn from here. First of all, then, uh, who is the cupbearer and who is the baker, and what's their significance? You know, well, all of us, or we might see, like, kids... Bible cartoon books or whatever. Okay, well, the baker, he bakes bread. <laughs> and the cupbearer, okay, he's with the cup and, and wine and, and something. And they're kind of like they're Pharaoh's workers, his servants, his slaves. Yes, but they're just not any slaves or any workers. Because think about this again. If Pharaoh, 
who is the king of Egypt, the most important person in Egypt, at the top of chain of command. And then you have other nations, and, and, and even still today there's wars and things, not in the same way as much anymore, but there's, uh, there's then people who want to then over, overthrow another government and take lead and fight against another nation and take over, and especially if you then uh, kill the other king and such, or somehow get influence, you might be able to take over a big kingdom and fight against them. And because of this, then, uh, the king of Egypt, not only does he have bodyguards and things who protect, people who protect him, and it seems Potiphar was the one in charge of the guard of Pharaoh, uh, and, and his kind of Pharaoh's secret service police, whatever you want to call it. And that's important, but you could have all the kind of uh, gates and fences and soldiers, but if there's one weak spot, it is that you have to eat every day. You have to put something in your body every day to continue to live. And then when you have uh, things put into your body, the main basic thing being obviously food, Pretty much you want to know that someone is not wanting to put things in your body that would harm you. And especially then when you're the king of Egypt, you don't just trust anyone to cook you a meal. (laughs) They might want to kill you. They might want to poison you. So... When we think here that the baker and the cup bearer, so the baker who's in charge of the more the solid food, the bread and cakes, all these kind of things, and he's not just, again, he's not just some baker who's there slaving away and someone commanding. He's, these are the top guys. So basically the guy in charge of the food of Pharaoh and the guy in charge of the drink of Pharaoh and overseeing all of that. So these are top guys and they need to be very, very trustworthy because if they decide to poison the king of Egypt, they could do it, as opposed to others who couldn't. This is important for us to realize, again, here in the situation, that's what's happening. And, and we saw there earlier, as, as Joseph gained prominence in the house of Potiphar, he was raising up, and then it mentions that about that Potiphar didn't have, he didn't, basically, the only thing he was concerned about was the food he ate. And I mentioned there that most likely it's the connection that Egyptians didn't like to eat or they they thought it unclean to eat with the Hebrews and such. But perhaps there was also another point there that he didn't trust Joseph that much yet. (laughs) He trusted with everything else. But it's one thing if someone uses your money wrongly and squanders your money and makes bad decisions, but it's one thing if they poison you and you die. <laughs> so there have been, like he, maybe he had someone else who continued doing his food. Potiphar, again, not the king of Pharaoh, Potiphar, but still high up, and even then more uh, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh himself. So these two, the cupbearer, the one in charge of Pharaoh's vineyards, the whole process of producing vine and making sure that everything's right, and then the one who has the responsibility and is to give literally the cup to Pharaoh, uh, him, and then the baker in charge of uh, uh, bread and, and, and all the other uh, foods there. These two, we're told, did something against 
the king of Egypt, Pharaoh. It says, sometime after this, we don't know exactly how long, again, Joseph was 13 years, he was in the house of Potiphar and in prison, like in total. We don't know how long exactly, he was at least two years in prison, we'll see that later, but, and probably he was, maybe he was, for example, three years in prison and 10 years in Potiphar's house earlier, uh, but in total at least that 13 years. Uh, but it's a some time after this. Joseph has already been put in prison and he's already gained the prominence uh, there and he's given responsibilities and such. But now the cupbearer and the baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And literally here, what the ESV says, committed an offense. Literally, it's they sinned against the king of Egypt. We don't know what they did. We're never told what exactly they did. But I think we can kind of uh, guess a little bit based on the rest of the chapter. Again, because of the fact of their position relating to drink and food, it is very likely that they were suspected of an attempted poisoning of the king of Egypt. Again, I don't, we don't know this for sure, but that is very likely the situation. Maybe somehow in the preparation rooms where the Pharaoh's food, maybe there was found uh, some poison, you know, that hadn't yet been put anywhere, and now it was unclear who's in charge, who's trying to do, and so we're putting both of you in prison till further investigation. And they were put in prison, just like Joseph was put in prison. Uh, remember last time I said it seems Potiphar wasn't completely sure about his wife's story about Joseph. And that's why he put him in prison, not executed him. But if Pharaoh would have been sure at this point what they had done exactly, he would have executed both of them right away. But he put them both in prison first. And then later on, they're both taken out and one is ex- executed and one is not. So it seems that it is very likely that there was an attempt to poison the king and that this is the reason they sinned against God. Either way, they did something against Pharaoh. And I think this again shows us kind of a contrast because did Joseph do something against his master to be thrown into this pit? No, no. In fact, anything it's the complete opposite. Not only did he love God and not sin against God, but he loved his master. Because it would have been, it would, the greatest sin would have been against God to commit sexual sin with Potiphar's wife. But it would have also been a sin against Potiphar to do this act with uh, his wife. So he loved even his master, but because of that he was thrown into prison. So Joseph never did an offense against his master, and certainly not against God. But these two, at least one of them, as we see, did an actual thing, an actual offense. And they were in that sense justly there. But Joseph was not. Okay, they come there, Pharaoh was angry with them, and they're put in verse 3, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. This is interesting We've heard this phrase before, the house of the captain of the guard. Who is the captain of the guard? Potiphar. Potiphar was told to us in the previous chapter, Potiphar is the captain of of the guard, the chief guard. So here the name Potiphar is not mentioned. 
and therefore we cannot like 100% say maybe may, it could be that it changed, it could be that they're, you know, they're different, but it's most likely it is talking about Potiphar, and uh, because it's the same title, the captain of the guard, the captain of, again, Pharaoh's kind of security team. And the house, this prison, seems to be somehow there, near or next to uh, Potiphar's house and under Potiphar's rule. And uh, this would then also be interesting in that sense that if Potiphar, because he wasn't sure, it seems, about Joseph's, uh, uh, the accusations against Joseph by his wife, then that not only did he put it in some prison, it was like part of his domain, his prison there. And it is then very likely also that maybe part of that, that Potiphar knew and had a, he knew that Joseph was faithful, but and didn't really believe he was completely guilty. And maybe it was even then Potiphar's influence that then made Joseph rise to prominence even faster there in prison. Uh, could very well be. But at the way, it's the same title. Uh, <clears throat> and he's... Uh, these two high-ranking officials, the baker and the cupbearer, the closest ones to, to Pharaoh relating to his food, are now put in custody, in prison, in the same place where Joseph is confined. And then verse 4 tells us the captain of the guard, again, it could be Potiphar, uh, appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended. And we're already told in the end of chapter 39 that Joseph had all these responsibilities and more. And it seems then it's not, not only did he have those, now he was given these, that because these prisoners, not just any prisoners, they're so important people, and it's still not sure what their offense is, that Joseph, you're the only one we can trust kind of to make sure that they're well, they need to be well treated, they can't be just kind of thrown around like some common uh, slave in that sense in the system of Egypt. Uh, un until then things are proven otherwise and one of them is hanged and one of them is put back in position. So Joseph is given the responsibility to especially kind of look after them and all the other responsibilities he had. We're told they continued for some time in custody, some days, so time passed on. However long, we don't know exactly, but uh, they were there uh, certainly for uh, some many days. <clears throat> Verse 5 then gives us this, which and the main theme here is about these dreams that they have. We're told that they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker and the king, uh, baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, each dream with its own interpretation. So they both have dreams on the same night, but it's different dreams. And verse 6 tells us that Joseph came to them in the morning. So apparently he didn't sleep exactly in the slave place where they were, but he went there and he you know, knew these and so forth. And then he also he notices that something different. And we see here even Joseph, he's faithful in his task. He actually like... He's not just kind of coldly like, okay, whatever, let me get you. Like he looks at them, he sees them, and he notices, even before they seem to say anything to him, he notices that they are downcast, they're depressed about something, and he cares about them, and he asks, what's the matter? What's the matter? He's not just going on life, Joseph, and, you know, depressed about his own circumstances and not caring about anything else, or, you know, I'm just... 
oh man, I'm so tired with this life and you know, it seems like God has forgotten me. People keep mistreating me. My brothers wanted to kill me. They sold me. Now Potiphar and his wife throw me here in prison and here I'm in prison still and just kind of self-focused and, and depressed. No, Joseph is not at all like that, it seems. And he's even here focusing on these other ones, doing part of his faithful duties there. And he asks them, asks them, why are your faces downcast today? What's the matter? And then they tell him in verse 8, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. Dreams are things which we, <laughs> all, all of us, <laughs> know. And, uh, you know the, when you fall asleep, not every night, at least you don't remember all dreams, but people, we have dreams. Sometimes they can be very strange dreams, and sometimes it can be like, oh yeah, I ate too much cheese in the evening and my dreams were very strange or whatever. Or sometimes, oh yeah, watch some, I don't know, some scary movie or book, and then that comes into haunt in your dreams. Uh, we understand that, uh, that dreams are part of like our mind continues, and often the things that we have been thinking about or exposed to throughout the day, or that we are concerned about, we have fears about, whatever, somehow they come into our dreams because it is our mind uh, working and functioning. And... Uh, so in that sense, certainly much of the, thi- the things we expose ourselves to, the things we think about throughout the day, the things we see throughout the day, has an effect on our dreams as well. It's not that the dreams completely, kind of all the time, kind of come out of thin air. Of course, there are then times like, oh, I, I don't know, what, what was that about? But most of the times we don't really even remember those dreams, even though they might seem very vivid in uh, the night. But people have had dreams ever since uh, the beginning, obviously. And God, in uh, history, has used dreams to be one of the vehicles in which He has spoken to people. We've seen that already in the book of Genesis, in, in, in different situations, both to believers and to unbelievers. We've even seen unbelievers receive warning uh, well, uh, warning. Uh, um, dreams about relating there to Abraham earlier and such. And uh, we've also obviously seen already Joseph, he has these two dreams that God gives to him about that how his brothers and uh, mother and father will bow down to him and, and his prominence which were given to him by God. God has used these. But yet, Uh, In Scripture, they are very rare. And in fact, we only have two situations in all of the Bible where you have someone in that sense more with the specific gift of interpreting kind of dreams, the main ones being Joseph and and then Daniel. And in both circumstances, it is connected to kind of showing pagans something about, about the, the true God, that the, the, the people of the true God can uh, truly uh, interpret these dreams instead of all the magicians and false prophets and wise men of the pagans. But Egyptians apparently had a special fas- fascination with dreams, as still many uh, different uh, religions and philosophies still today. And you might thought, oh, every dream has some kind of meaning, and there's these different even handbooks. If you see this in your dream, that means something like this. Well, the Bible doesn't teach any of that. 
The Bible does not teach that we should somehow be kind of guessing, mystical guesses about our different dreams. Maybe this means this, maybe that, and such. In fact, the Bible warns us about false prophets and people who claim in the names of dreams and visions one thing or another that would lead you away from the one true God, such as in Deuteronomy chapter 15, we have warnings against that. And the Bible never again calls us somehow to always be analyzing our dreams. You know, sometimes it just is, whatever. Again, you had too much cheese in the evening, you watched a bad movie, it influenced you, whatever. And don't, don't uh, think about it. And sometimes you know, those can be reminders of, of even in a the dream, then, oh, I should focus more on that, or I'm thinking about that person, whatever. Where they come from, but it's just their mind working one way or another. But these Egyptians had people who would then be like professional dream interpreters. <laughs> professional dream interpreters. We'll see this in the next chapter as Pharaoh then has a dream. And remember, these two were at the top of the chain in Pharaoh's command. So these two, when they say there's no one to interpret them, we might first think like, that they're kind of desperately in prison, just going like, hey, I had this dream. Any idea what it's about? Any idea what it's about? You know, whatever. That's not what they're doing. I don't believe they've shared it with anyone yet, except each other, it seems, because they, they, they were there and like both kind of like, oh, we had this dream. The reason they're saying there's no one to interpret them is because they're in prison and they're no longer in the presence of Pharaoh and Pharaoh's magicians and wise men who they perhaps otherwise would have gone to and like, hey, I had this dream. And then the magicians of Pharaoh will whatever, you know, not very different than whatever some person reading tarot cards or some kind of things today uh, doing one thing or another and like, guesswork, or sometimes it can be supernatural and demonic also. Uh, but that's why they're kind of, we've had this, and this is not just any dream, they're really sh shooken up with this, they remember all the details, and they have similar dreams, and they know this is something serious now. It is something serious, and they are depressed because they believe there's no way we can find out now, we can't ask the magicians of Egypt and the wise men, whom Pharaoh will ask in the next chapter when he has a dream, but they cannot explain it. We see there that even if they could have asked these wise men, they would not have been able to explain it because they are not speaking truly the words of God. And these dreams were given by God as a revelation into the situation specifically that Joseph would be able to through this then interpret them and this is part of what God uses to show the emptiness and the foolishness of the Egyptian false gods and the, the trueness of the true God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the one true God, Yahweh, the God of Israel and, and to raise up Joseph as a result. But they're depressed. And Joseph says to them, Do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. Think about Joseph again. And what we learn here from... So these are some of the details which we just... When we read this, we, we don't stop and appreciate and think about the situation. Think about if you were in a similar situation as Joseph. You're 17. God gives you two dreams that are true, you know, prophetic revelation from God, 
And you in your youthful zeal and probably foolishness share it with your brothers and they start hating you even more. Then as a result of these real dreams be given by God and you sharing it then, your brothers decide to first try to kill you, but then they sell you into slavery. And then you're a slave. And then you're faithful in, 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 in the, uh, all your tasks there. You rise to prominence and then you're confronted with se- the opportunity to commit sexual sin and you don't do it. And as a result, you suffer even more. Now you're thrown into prison again, another kind of pit. And now you're there in that prison. And uh, at least at this, I would guess 10 years have gone at this point. You might then be like, Dreams, don't talk to me about dreams. I'm bitter against God. God showed me these dreams and look, here I am. I've been a man of God. I resisted temptation here. I'm in prison. Don't talk to me about dreams. I don't care about dreams. That would be a man who has lost his faith and his trust in God. That is not what Joseph is. He has the very opposite. He has no bitterness even though time is gone and he keeps on being mistreated. He's not focused on himself and it's like what others have sinned against him. In fact, there seems to be an eagerness. Well, there is an eagerness. It's like dreams. I know about dreams. Not just because... I have dreams like everyone else, but because God has given me specific revelation, and I trust in God, and I know God will do what He said He would do. And here He has this, and you know, that it seems, I mean, He's fully confident that God is going to able to, God is going to tell the purpose of these dreams through Him. He's full confidence in God. And this is something we really should hear. We are not, we're never going to be in the same situation as Joseph here. But then the situation is, will you trust him? Will you trust God, not just for one day, for a week, for a month, for a year, or two years, or three years, or four years, or five years, or not just when things are easy and you do, oh, look at this, I did the right thing, and look, things are going well. Oh, no, I did the right thing, and I'm suffering again. Will you trust Him? Will you trust Him, whatever the circumstances? And Joseph is a great example for us to trust. He has no bitterness. He has no resentment toward dreams and toward God. The complete opposite. God is change, complete, preparing this man, preparing this man for a great position of leadership. He says, does not interpretations belong to God? The interpretations do not belong, true interpretation of true revelation in a dream that God gives. Uh, does not belong to men guessing. It does not belong to false prophets guessing this and that or tarot card readers or whatever, you know, these kind of things. It's not... Anyone who has a vivid imagination can guess something. Like, you tell me a dream, I can come up with some kind of, if I just want to, you know, yeah, that symbolizes this, that, that, whatever. You know, I can come up with fanciful interpretations if I have some strange dream. Joseph is not talking of any of that. He's talking about the fact that God has given these dreams and he will be able to tell the interpretation because the interpretation comes from God. Later in chapter 41, verse 16, when Joseph interprets the dream of Pharaoh about two years after this, 
Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. God is the one who interprets the dream. Joseph is just an instrument. Joseph is not self-centered, but God can interpret and will. He says, so please tell me. Then the chief cupbearer is the one first telling this dream. And again, thinking again about what's happening here in this, we don't know for sure what happened, what was their offense, but we know here later that who is the one who is killed? It's not the chief cupbearer, but it's the baker who is killed. And unless just Pharaoh was for no reason, oh, let's kill him, <laughs> which most likely he wasn't, if he was a trustworthy, again, you, you have a hard time then finding someone else who is as skilled and trustworthy to put in that same position. So you don't just get rid of your high top men regarding your daily food for no reason. So the fact then that later the baker is killed, and not just killed, but he's uh, kind of in a very severe way uh, hanged on the tree and left there to be eaten by the birds, it seems that he committed some very serious sin, and it's very likely that it was an attempt to poison uh, the king of Pharaoh, uh, the king of Egypt. But the cupbearer then was restored, is restored to his position, and it seems it was proven that he was innocent. So then think about the situation there. Why is the cupbearer the one first speaking? It's very likely because he knows he's innocent. He's at this point, someone has committed an offense. Both are put in prison, but until we find out and until we we'll do further investigation and find out for certain who it is, both are put in prison. And now they both have these dreams. And the cupbearer knows what he has done and what he hasn't done. So he's more than... Yeah, tell, you know, I'm going to tell you the dream as opposed to the other one is a little bit because he has a guilty conscience. He knows, just like we, if we do sin and stuff, we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to share details with someone that it might be brought more in the open. Uh, the chief cupbearer tells his dream first to Joseph and says to him, In my dream there was a vine before me and the vine, and on the vine there were three branches. This dream, both of these dreams, obviously the word three, uh, number three, is very prominent and in the interpretation of it. What does he see? A vine. Uh, I got to see last year for the first time in our greenhouse, knew that we have a vine. A vine, so it is the tree, you know, so it's a gross, it's, it's like the stem, however it then goes there, that's the main one, that's, that's the uh, vine. And then from that grows these little branches, and in those branches then uh, uh, leaves, and it starts off with little, little clusters that are like that small, and then they start, you know, as it gets water and it feeds, you know, it then grows bigger. And in this vision, obviously, which happens at once, it like, there's the vine, like Jesus, I'm the vine, you are the branches, we need, and when you cut the branch, there's no life in it on its own. Uh, it will eventually shrivel and die. It needs to be part of the vine. The vine is there, and this vine then has three branches, three of these branches. And then right away, uh, as soon it, it, in this dream that he has, we see three steps. So not only is there three branches, we, three, we see three steps. It budded, so it, 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 it starts growing. There's the I don't remember, is there a flower or not? I think there is. <laughs> anyway, but it buds. Then right away, 
Blo yeah, blossom shot forth. Yeah, I guess that's where the flowers. Anyway, but it buds, then blossom shot forth, and then the clusters, and then just ripen. And this is a vision of obviously you don't. This takes many weeks, months normally, but in this vision, budded, shot forth, clusters ripen. Three actions, and then we're told here they into grapes, and then Pharaoh's cup was in his hand. He's there. And then three actions that he does. I took the grapes and I pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Three actions again. And then Pharaoh's name is mentioned three times. It just seems like this whole dream is three. Everything is relating to three. And again, this is not normally, it's not the point that he's the one is going necessarily pressing and things like he was the master of the vineyards and all this. But this is symbolic that he's in charge of the whole process up to the very fact that he gives it to Pharaoh and he would be the one who would also be able to poison Pharaoh if he would choose to do so. But it seems he did not as he's later exonerated. He has this vision. And again, you might have that then. Again, if, if someone gave me that kind of, I could think, well, tree means, you know, whatever. You, know, I could, you can start... Coming up with all kind of fanciful interpretations. So the point is not that no one can give someone, and I'm sure even if the uh, wise men, the magicians of Pharaoh would have been, they would have probably given something, you know? Oh yeah, this symbolizes this and, and whatever. And if you're very clever, you do it so vague that you can't be then proven false afterwards. You just, you know, like whatever the horoscopes in the newspaper or uh, Chinese fortune cookies in a restaurant or something like that. That's so vague uh, and uh, imprecise anyway. So someone could come up with some kind of explanation. But that's not what Joseph is doing. He's not just thinking, oh, I'll like, kind of guess something and hope it goes well. Or something like that. No, he has revelation from God. He's able to, with full certainty, say, this is what it means. God has revealed this to me, and we'll see that happening. And it's if Joseph has it, immediately he says, he says in verse 12, this is the interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in your hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. So, as a good, it's like, yes. You know, I'm sure he was very happy. But then, uh, Joseph says, Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of Hebrews, and here I also have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Even though Joseph is a man of contentment, as I emphasized last sermon also. Seems he's, even though he's being unjustly treated, he's suffering, and he, he's not, uh, uh, yeah, it's unjust suffering. People have wrongly treated him and continue to treat him wrongly. He's still content. He continues doing his work faithfully in little things and, and big things and all this. He's content and he's trusting God. That does not mean that contentment is in some way like, oh, well, I'm just going to keep on being here in prison and it's miserable. I will not even try in any way to get out here or get, you know, anything like that. He won't try to somehow escape and just they are like wrong things. But at the same time, neither is he completely passive. He understands here that here God has given now an opportunity and like you soon, because I know this will happen, you will go back to Pharaoh's 
court and you're like one of the closest people to Pharaoh, please talk, mention about me. Notice he's not even commanding here, you have to. He says, please, please remember me. Please do me kindness. I've done a kindness to you and interpreted your dream and it will happen. And when it happens, please remember me. And he doesn't want to be in this house. It's not a nice thing, even though he's has responsibilities and he's high there, it's still prison. And he uses the word pit, dungeon. So just like he was thrown into a pit by his brothers, he's now in a different pit and also again unjustly there. And he reminds him, he says, "I, I was stolen out of the land of Hebrews. He was stolen in that sense. He was stolen by his brothers and sold by his brothers, but he has not done anything wrong. And he says, the land of the Hebrews... The land of the Hebrews uh, is a connection, obviously, to Abraham. Genesis 14, verse 13 is the first mention of ever the word Hebrew, Abraham the Hebrew. And then the Hebrews became more of a title toward the people of Israel, the land of Israel. He's then connecting to the fact he's a descendant of Abraham. He's a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob specifically. And he's talking about the land of the Hebrews that even though it wasn't as significant at this point yet, but he's, and maybe even the uh, cupbearer didn't necessarily know, well, what's the land of the Hebrews? Uh, we don't know yet. Uh, but he knows that he's a foreigner and from somewhere else. And again, this also, that now this man who's a foreigner, who seems to, who worships a different God than the gods of Egypt, he's the one who's able to tell this dream. He's confronted here with the messenger of the true God, and especially as he then later on sees that it happened, and then Pharaoh will see this happening, that the wise men and the magicians of Egypt are nothing compared to the one true God and the men whom God sends, whether it's Joseph or then later on Moses and, and so forth. But says, please remember me. <clears throat> Verse uh, 16 tells us then the chief baker, notice it says the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable. <laughs> it seems again he's a little bit maybe hesitant because he knows what he has done, even though we don't know exactly what he's done. Uh, but then he's like, well, it seemed to go well with him, and so maybe I got a chance. Maybe it's a good thing for me as well. Let's, let's give it a try. I hope I'll get the same, because my dream was basically the same. Three, maybe three days, I'll be baking bread for Pharaoh again. Uh, it was favorable. Let me give it a shot. He tells Pharaoh the dream. I also had a dream. His dream is then different though, but it relates to his profession. Here it says there were three cake baskets on my head. This is what the ESV says, three cake baskets. Some translations say uh, white bread. Uh, there's apparently this whatever like a bit debate, how should this be translated and such. Either way, if anyone had white bread back in the day, it's just kind of an interesting thing because we think of now white bread is the normal and white bread comes from the uh, inside of the grain. And then you have whole grain bread, which is not white as such. It's more dark because it has the whole grain. If someone had white bread, it was the king of Egypt. <laughs> no one else could afford it. Because so, like, uh, nowadays, you know, you can buy it in the shop because you've got these big factories producing it. Uh, but if someone had white bread then, it obviously becomes more fluffy and you make all kind of cakes. 
although then whether it's healthy or not is a different question. Either way, whether it's cake baskets or white bread, uh, these are things that he was in charge of and that the king of Egypt, who had all these people under him, was able to enjoy. But not only are they on his head, there's these three baskets, and in the uppermost baskets, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. So this is all for Pharaoh, but the problem here is, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And that itself is like, probably doesn't mean something good. And again, these things, you know, you could guess even that maybe it's something bad. But Joseph is not just guessing, he's been given by divine revelation, he tells exactly how it's going to happen. And these dreams were given by God to them for this purpose that Joseph would be able to interpret them. So, Joseph then answers and gives right away the interpretation, verse 18, this is the interpretation, the three baskets are three days, that's similar, three three branches, three baskets, okay, he's probably like, yes. Three days, I'll be free. And then three days, in three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head. Yes, yes. From you. And hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. The exact opposite will happen to him. He will be lifted up, but he will be lifted up just for judgment. And severe judgment hanging on the tree and left for the birds to eat the flesh of you. That was the interpretation of history. One thing we see here even of Joseph, not only, obviously he's not guessing the interpretations, he has divine interpretation to these dreams, but he's also then, he's not just kind of like, okay, to the cupbearer, because it's good news, let me tell you, remember me. But also here then, and, and still three days, uh, like, well, maybe I won't tell you the interpretation because you'll probably not like me after this. You'll probably get angry at me because of this. Who knows? You might like, what? You know, start strangling me almost because, well, like, whatever. Joseph is not a people pleaser. He doesn't mind to offend people if he needs to offend. He's a people pleaser in the right way that he seems to please in good ways. And he's care, he, he, he thinks about others. He asks, how, why are they downcast? He seems to serve others, his master, and all these things. So he's not some selfish, proud person who doesn't care about people. He cares about people. In that sense, he seeks to please them. But if pleasing people would go against what is right and good, he will not please people. And therefore, if his master's wife, Potiphar, asks, come and lie with me and continues to ask, He has no problem offending her and even suffering the consequences of going to prison because of that. And here now, this chief baker, God has given the revelation. He will probably be very disappointed and maybe angry at me for telling the interpretation, but he will tell it. He doesn't mind offending when he needs to offend. And we should be similar. We should speak the truth, even in those situations when someone might hate us as a result. We should be more concerned not about what the circumstances will, what will happen to me if I do this. Will they hate me? Will they do this? Will they, what will be my reputation after this if I do this? The only thing we should be concerned about is being faithful to God and have a clear conscience and then let whatever people, false accusations or false actions, God will sort it out in the end. That should be our uh, attitude as well. Because eventually the truth will come out. But he tells 
this one, this dream, and it is not a favorable one. Then we're told in verse 20 to the end of the chapter that this is exactly what happened on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday. Notice it was his birthday. Maybe Pharaoh had known the result. It's, again, uh, for example, Henry Morris in his commentary, he, uh, as he uh, kind of guesses about the circumstances here, he's like, maybe it is like Potiphar since he was the captain of the guard. Kind of the, maybe he was even in charge of this investigation, investigating what the cupbearer and the uh, baker had done. And at some point they then found out enough evidence, whatever it was, and they now knew that one was guilty and one was not. And again, because these men are not just any servants of Pharaoh, because they're at the very height of servants of Pharaoh, Pharaoh, it seems maybe even very likely... Uh, um, uh, uh, saved it for his birthday and again further Henry Morris uh, uh, guesses and I think it was a good guess in that sense it is very likely that maybe the purpose of the original if it was an attempted murder uh, attempt maybe the purpose was to poison him on his own birthday <laughs> you know and it could be that Pharaoh is then here like let me let me show them the other way around. On my birthday, I will lift them both up and then one of them will be hanged so that all other servants, everyone will know what the, this plan, whatever it was, whatever the offense was, this is what happens to a man who goes against Pharaoh. And this is what happens to someone who's faithful to Pharaoh. He's promoted back. Anyway, Pharaoh's birthday, he makes a feast to all his servants and uh, then brings back these two servants who are at the top of the chain. He lifts them both back up. And then one of them is restored, the cupbearer, to his position. And he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But the baker was hanged, just like Joseph had interpreted. Joseph spoke the truth. These men both know now, knew that he spoke the truth. But verse 23 tells us, Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Did he think about this? He's, he's there in prison, and it seems he was there innocently, and Joseph is there innocently, and he knows that Joseph is there innocently because Joseph told him. And it's only now that he, he knew this beforehand that Joseph is uh, speaking from the one true God because this happened. And he should have like kindness. Well, he's there unjustly. I was there unjustly. He helped me out. I should help him out. But he did not remember Joseph, but forgot about him. And how long does he forget about him? For two years. Are we to believe that the cupbearer just completely forgot about the fact that he exists? Very likely not, you know. It is more likely that he just kind of knew and every now and then he may remember, but oh, now it's not the right moment. Maybe Pharaoh will be angry at me for... Talking about, you know, I might get into trouble for trying to get this other man out of prison or something like that. He did not remember. He did not think about him. He didn't act. And the verse here, notice it just emphasized, he didn't remember Joseph, but forgot him. And two years go, 
until then in ch- next chapter Pharaoh has a dream and none of the magicians and the wise men uh, can uh, able to t- explain the dream to Pharaoh and then he says I remember my sin he's convicted of his sin uh, and then he has an opportunity then uh, talks about Joseph and then Joseph comes and interprets Joseph though what, what does that tell us there at the end? He's again forgotten. He's again mistreated in a way. Mistreated by his brothers who want to murder him, then sell him. Mistreated and suffering because of seeking to do what is right toward his master. And, and he's suffering under the lies of the master's wife. He's in prison. Now he's in prison. He has done right. Here he, uh, he's t- told the interpretation of the dream to this. And still, he's forgotten. He's forgotten. Years just keep going, and it seems, from a human point of view, it seems God has forgotten Joseph, and certainly people keep on forgetting and mistreating him. But God does not forget. Obviously not. God has a perfect, wise plan for Joseph, and a perfect, wise plan that it took this 13 years to mold this man of God. And then in 30 years old, then he's given that. And as a side note, in the Bible, almost all uh, people, when they rise to like a form of leadership, 30 years seems to be kind of almost this, not magic number, but, but there's an aspect that God brings young men and such through a certain process until he will raise them. Jesus himself was 30 when he, uh, roughly 30 when he began his ministry. Joseph is here 30. And he had to go through these difficulties and that was part of what God used to mature him, to strengthen him and, and prepare him for this. But God does not forget. And whatever situations we find ourselves going through, God never forgets. And as I close, I'll read one passage from Romans chapter 8, 28. Romans chapter 8, 28 is a very good passage to remember. Whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. That as long as we, we, we seek to be faithful to God, if there's sin in our life, we need to repent and confess it to God. But if we have a good conscience, clear conscience or whatever, even if we suffer unjustly, we can continue trusting in God that all things in the end will work together for good. Verse 28, and we know, so Romans 8 verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, for whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And to those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. By faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we've been called to be conformed to the image of his Son, to the image of Christ. And as we see certain aspects of the life of Joseph, when he's faithful to God, we should seek to be faithful to God in a similar way. Let's uh, pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Help us to uh, understand these things and help us these, these stories, this true history that you've recorded for us even in the life of Joseph. We pray that these uh, stories would not just be of kind of uh, 
how would you say, in that is academic interest to us and knowing what details happens, but that there's a reason why we should know and that we should see the warnings in the life of uh, the patriarchs in the book of Genesis as we've seen and also the encouraging and the good example that we should be more like a Joseph in this regard. Forgive us of all of our sins, forgive us of so often uh, doubting you and doubting your promises and just thinking that things need to happen immediately and we, we don't grow in patience and, and long-suffering toward one another, toward you. Help us, Lord. Help us to uh, be strengthened in this. Help us to be more like Joseph here, that uh, we might faithfully seek to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, the, one, the only one who's truly perfect, the only one who's true uh, perfect love, perfect patience, perfect truth and perfect uh, even holy anger against sin and all that, that we might be conformed to his image more and more. So help us in this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.